I'd like to turn to, um, well, you should be already there, at uh, Luke 17. And depending on your translation, it will say, um, Christ teaches concerning stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks or obstacles. Now, there have been a few obstacles to our lives over the last few years. Um, I was reading about these poor people in South Australia have to line up for nine hours to get their COVID test, and they have to get it. I mean, in WA, you think, oh, why would you bother lining up for nine hours? But, you know, if you want to travel, then you've got to get the right certification. You can't get the right certification unless you line up for the nine hours and you get that certification. Um, we've had people that get stuck in different states. When they want to come home, they go somewhere on holiday, then they find that they've got to suddenly not only get a flight, if they can, and when they get back here, then they've got to go into quarantine and so it goes on and on. And we've had some stumbling blocks in our church. We've had the COVID thing, but we've also had a, a pastor that's resigned and, and other things that have been stumbling blocks to us. And in fact, on Boxing Day, I had a bit of an obstacle in my way. I was riding down to the shop to get some milk or whatever, and, um, you know, it was a really hot day and all of that. And um, I couldn't be bothered putting on my helmet or anything like that, so I just got on my electric bike, zoomed down the footpath. Everything's going well, except that there were so many people and there were so many cars that from all the people coming to the beach that they parked all across the footpath. So I said, oh, I'll go on the road. So I'm on the road. That was all good, and I'm riding through there. And I get up to um, the Preveley Park uh, Caravan Park, and I switch back onto the footpath dutifully, and just as I'm going along there, a car comes out of the um, caravan park and sort of goes through the gate there, pauses for a moment, and they're just about to take off, go up the hill, there was no cars coming, so I'm anticipating this guy going off, and so I just keep going, and at last minute, the passenger in the car yells out at the driver, bike! And the guy slams on his brakes right in front of me. And so I hit the brakes. And I hit the brakes and I put down my foot to steady myself, except that because I was on the footpath, don't go on the footpath, right on the road, it's so much safer. I was on the footpath, I put my foot down, of course, I missed the curb and ended up rolling across the road. I went three quarters of the way across the road. Now, I wasn't thinking that charitably about tourists at that point, but actually the tourists were trying to be really nice. The guy was, the passenger was just trying to preserve me, I suppose. It just happened that he said exactly the wrong thing for my situation. And then, of course, after I'd ridden, uh, rolled across the road, and I was a bit scared because um, now that I'm on blood thinners, that was another obstacle I had personally this year, a heart attack. Um, I really don't like cutting myself because it just starts bleeding and it just bleeds forever, you know. And um, anyway, I rolled across the road and I got back on my bike and the people were really apologetic and they were nice people. They didn't do anything wrong or anything like that. It was just... Uh, 
the serendipity of the moment, I suppose. Get back on my bike, go to the shop. I'm trying to get back home as quick as I had because I had a long sleeve shirt on and I thought, I'm just going to be bleeding left, right and centre <laughs> after this, you know. But I got home and I wasn't. I just wasn't. I had a few bruises, like a few sore bits, but no cuts. So I was really thankful to God. I thought, wow, got out of that pretty lightly. Thank you, Father. So, obstacles. We all have them. We have them on a global scale. We have them uh, within our community. We have them in our church. We have them in our private lives. And Jesus here is teaching about how you deal with them. How do you deal with all the obstacles that come up and, and uh, disrupt our lives? And he says to his disciples, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. But woe to them through whom they come. And it would be better to have a millstone around your neck than to um, uh, cause one of the little ones to stumble. And he says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And I'm sure the disciples to whom Jesus spe is speaking would think, yeah, okay, yeah, someone sins against you, you've got to forgive them. That's the good Christian thing to do. And Jesus forgives us for our sins, so we should forgive others. All of that. Um, and in fact, forgiveness is a really big thing. None of us, none of us can survive without forgiveness. Not leaders, not pastors, not each one of us can survive without forgiveness. But Jesus goes on. He's talking not just about forgiving a person that sins against you but a person that sins against you seven times in a day seven times they come around please forgive me for this and, yeah okay please forgive me for that yeah okay good. yeah and it's starting to wear a bit thin that's what the disciples are thinking and um, they say in response to this all this forgiveness we've got to give out say well increase our faith we need more faith we're going to pull this off and then Jesus tells I think a very unusual story. He says, if you had faith like a mustard, well, two unusual stories. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, there's a whole lot of things happening here in the text. One is the mustard seed thing. Mustard seeds are really, really, really tiny little seeds. Right? And so Jesus is using that analogy to say, if you've got just that much faith, you've got enough. You've got everything you need. And that makes perfect sense because you think of um, a child, a three or four-year-old child who believes in Jesus. Well, they've got enough faith to believe in Jesus. That's all they need. Or if you've got a person who is full of doubts and anxieties and things like that, but they've got just a little bit of faith, that's enough for God to work in their lives. That's enough. And if people come to us for baptism and um, ask to be you know, baptised and all of that, all we ask is they've got a bit of faith. Doesn't matter how much they've got. 
They've got a little bit. They've got enough. And we've got enough. That's what Jesus is saying. One little bit of faith, that's enough. And so, the next picture is, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree. Now, mulberry trees. I've been reading up about mulberry trees. In the um, writings of the rabbis at the time, mulberry trees were very significant because of their deep-rootedness. Um, in one of the rabbinical writings, it talks about mulberry trees being so deep-rooted that they could last 600 years. So Jesus has deliberately chosen this example of the mulberry tree as something that's pretty hard to pull up, right? These are deep, deep-rooted plants that last a long, long time. And um, so that's why he says, you had just a little bit of faith, even this mulberry tree, you could um, order it to be thrown into the sea and it would obey you. And you think, wow, that's, that's impressive. Um, a Norwegian commentator that I like reading, a guy called William Hendrickson, makes the point, yep, provided God wanted you to say that to the mulberry tree, it would happen. So you can think about that next time you've got some real problem that seems absolutely insoluble, um, that, well, if it's meant to happen, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. You can pray that. And I've seen that in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others. Here's one example. Uh, is Debbie Fontana here today? No, okay. Um, Debbie Fontana was born to a mother who had had a hysterectomy. Yeah, go figure that. Mum's hmm? had a hysterectomy and she was still born. It wasn't still born, she was born. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, okay, so that's just one example, of, but I, I could give you lots of other crazy examples that that actually works. One time we were um, on a school camp and the bus driver dropped us off at the, and what we're going to do, we're going to hike to the camp. We're trying to get these city kids to enjoy a bit of creation. And um, so we thought we'll walk them into the campsite, you know. And it was about four or five k's, but you had to go down this big ravine thing, cross over the stream at the bottom, go up the other side of the hill, and then you went along to the campsite. And so we go down the hill, and that's all good. And just as we're crossing this um, stream, a girl, and she was quite a large girl, slipped and sprained her ankle. And she's, and I'm sort of looking at the girl with a sprained ankle, you know, oh, sprained ankle, and I'm looking at this mountain <laughs> ahead of us, and it was like no path or anything; it was just rocks. And I'm thinking, Sheesh, how are we going to get this girl up this hill? And anyway, I thought that's going to be pretty tough. And so what I said to her was, I said. I prayed, I said, put your sock and your shoe back on and we'll go up the hill. And she just did it. She just put the sock on, put her thing on, and it was already swollen, the ankle was big. And uh, anyway, she did it and she walked up the hill. And I'm just thinking, wow, how's this happening? 
Anyway, we get to the top of the hill. No swelling. She's up there. How's that stuff? And other weird stuff like that used to happen in the old days of Swan Christian High School in the early days when we broke almost every uh, occupational safety uh, thing that we ever <laughs> were supposed to observe and still God bailed us out, including people falling 25 foot down through the bridal cave and um, missing the rocks by inches, landing in a kind of really soft dust and surviving. First time we go surfing, uh, I think seven of our kids had to get saved out at Rivermouth. Uh, you know, <laughs> there was stuff that used to happen in those days. And it seems that when you're in those crazy situations, God just answers your prayer, just crazily. So we've got enough faith. That's not the problem. But Jesus goes on to say, and this is the amazing part, and this is really the central part of what I want to talk to you about today. It's this. Which of you, having a slave, ploughing or tending the sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately, sit down and have a break. No. Will you not say to him, and you've got to remember this is first, um, first century slaves and owners, right? And uh, will you not say to him, prepare me something to eat and properly clothe yourself. I don't want to have some dirty, sweaty servant. I want you clothed and ready to serve me until I've eaten and after that maybe you can have something to eat. And Jesus says, so you too, when you do all the things which are commanded of you, you say, we are unworthy slaves, we have only done that which we have ought to have done. Now this isn't our culture, is it? This is not. We have to thank people all the time. Let me tell you, as a school teacher, the old days when you used to tell kids, oh, they're long gone. Even when you write reports, you only say nice things. You don't say, this is a lazy little so-and-so and needs to knuckle down and do some work. You can't say that. <laughs> Principals tell you, you can't say that. You might offend the parents. They might take the kids out of school. <laughs> you just can't do it. And you, can't, you can hardly even tell a kid off these days. You've just got to give them positive reinforcement all the time. And the trouble with all this positive reinforcement, especially if it's for something that is really just doing their work. These days you even have to thank kids for doing their work. But the problem with it is that it breeds a kind of lack of resilience in the kids because the first time you do criticise them for anything at all, they completely fall apart. Then you've got the school psychologist, then you've got social anxiety, then you've got this, then you've got the parents on your back, then you've got the principal on your back, then you've got... So it goes. But Jesus says, no... Do your job. Just do your job. Don't expect to be thanked for it. Just do your job. Why does he say that? Well, maybe because he's Jesus and he just did his job. His job was to come and die for us. He just did his job. And Paul, when he talks about himself, he describes himself as a bond servant or, more correctly, a bond slave to Jesus Christ. A bond slave. You know what a bond slave is? It's like this servant here. The bond slave is a slave, A, for life, and B, they just do what they're told. And they're lucky if they get fed at the end of it. <laughs> right? And right through the scriptures, you find the same thing. It came up actually in the Philippians reading. 
that Jesus is described as a bond servant. Now, Jesus is the son of God, but you know what? He didn't have one idea of his own in his head. He says that. I do nothing on my own initiative. Nothing. He just used to do what God told him to do. And Paul, he describes himself as a bond slave, someone that whether he's got a little or whether he's got a lot, he's just contented. That's what he's called to. Now, this is a long way from modern Christian culture, from a consumerist generation that comes to church if they like the songs, if they think they're their kind of people, if they like the pastor, if the pastor says the right things, if there's a Sunday school, if there's a youth group, if there's this, if there's that. These guys, completely different mentality. They just did their job. Saw an interesting quote from Woody Allen, the film producer. He makes the comment, 90% of any job, you know what it is? Just showing up. You think about that. Just showing up for the job. Well, tell you what, if 90% of the time everybody in this church just showed up, we'd have a lot more people here. It's not that hard, but that's what God requires of us. Just do your job. Don't expect to be thanked. You're getting paid for the job if you're in employment in, in the world. You shouldn't expect thank for it. thanks for it. It's nice if you get it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that don't thank people. But what I'm saying, your personal responsibility is just to do your job, whether your job is paid employment, whether your job is helping out at Silver Chain, whether your job is in your family, doing the dishes. How many people, I wonder, got thanked for doing the dishes on Christmas Day? Put up your hand if you got thanked, if, any, if you did the dishes, if someone thanked you. Anyone do that? Well, good too. See, a Christian community. Wow, you guys are really nice. Fantastic. But let me tell you, it's pretty rare. So, do your job. Then Jesus tells, or then the story goes on, about the lepers. And it came about that while he was on his way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, like good lepers will, and um, they cried out and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them. Now, he doesn't say to them, okay, I'm going to heal you. What he says is, go show yourselves to the priest. See, what he's looking for is obedience. He tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. They go off to show themselves to the priest. And only one of them comes back and actually glorifies God and thanks Jesus for what he's done. And Jesus says, oh, weren't there ten of you? How come only one came back? And that one wasn't a Jew, wasn't a believing person or part of the culture, the God culture of Israel, was a Samaritan, was a foreigner. And he says, rise 
and go on your way, your faith has made you well. Now, Paul, writing in Romans, talks about his purpose in preaching the gospel. And he describes it in these terms. He describes it as to bring about the obedience of faith. And what I want to suggest to you is that obedience is the big thing in faith. Our faith is our obedience. Our obedience is our faith. So that's all very well and good when we're required to do, I guess, things we want to do or things we might think are worthwhile to do. It's a little bit tougher when they're things that we don't want to do or we object to. Now, we live in a society that objects to quite a few things, actually. Um, we all think that it's a bit of an imposition that the government should tell us to do things. Things like have vaccines. Who's the government? How come they get to tell us what to do? We want our freedom. Well, all I can say about that is this. This is from Romans 13. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for the good behaviour, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. And for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers, for rulers are authorities of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. And here's the principal line, I suppose. Render to those, so render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honour to whom honour. Doesn't say a lot about freedom, actually, does it? It says a lot about submission, which is a pretty dirty word in our culture. You tell people that they need to be submitted and whew, they're not going to be happy about it, but that's what the scripture tells us. And so it is that I think one of our problems as a society as Christians in a church, probably within our marriages, with our kids and parents and authorities over them, is that we've been sold this lie about freedom. And I don't think it's about freedom. Well, I think the freedom that Jesus preaches is not a freedom that... No, and no, 
Well, let me just finish, Jeff. Just okay. Well, just let me finish what I'm going to say. I'm just about to say, I'm not telling you what to do about vaccines. What I'm saying to you is, obey God and obey the civil authorities. That's all I'm saying. It's your personal. Well, sometimes it's obeyed and sometimes it's not obeyed. Um, well, I think the freedom might be a, a spiritual freedom rather than an earthly freedom. I'm reading to you Romans 13. I'm reading Romans 13. I'm reading Romans 13, that's all I'm doing. I'm reading Romans 13. Obey your authorities, whatever they tell you to do. That's, uh, well, sorry, Jeff, that you feel like that, but I'm really just trying to read the scriptures here. The final thing then is with stumbling blocks and obstacles, besides forgiveness, besides obedience, is giving thanks. It's giving thanks. And we've got a lot to be give thanks for. A lot to give thanks for. Um, only one of the lepers gives thanks to God. But we need to be grateful in our hearts for whatever freedoms we have, for sure. But the Son of God submitted himself to the will of the Father to the point of death. And obedience is part of faithfulness, and faithfulness is part of obedience. And one of the reasons that we're obedient to civil authorities, it says, is for conscience' sake. Now, a couple of years ago, I got a speeding fine that I thought was very unjust. And um, I was going to fight the case in court and all that sort of stuff. The day before, there's a sort of cut-off date before you've got to commit to either going to court or paying fine. And as I was driving home, God spoke to me and said, pay the fine. I really didn't want to pay the fine. But God said, pay the fine. And I paid the fine. And you know what? From that moment, I got complete freedom from the issue. You pay the money, stuff it, I don't care anymore. Just don't even care. And it was great. It was liberation. It was freedom. And the freedom came from obeying the law, even though I thought it was unjust. That's where I found freedom and release from that situation. And I'd recommend that for you too, because we don't need to be fighting people around us. What we need to do is give thanks to God for all his mercies in whatever context we get them. Anyway, um, I'm going to finish off with a, a slightly lighter thing. I think we might need it. Um, by singing a song. And the song is actually about bearing your own load, about or well, in this song what happens is Fanny, the lady, kind of sucks this guy into 
doing a whole lot of stuff that he didn't want to do and because he has to take the load, Fanny kind of has passed off the, um, the load or the weight on it. Now, I want to suggest to you that pastors and prime ministers have got a lot of weight on them, a lot of weight, a lot of pressure. And that pressure is enormous. It's enormous. So this is a country gospel song which encourages us to bear our own load, understanding that not to do so is actually to increase the burden on others. So um, what I'm going to do is teach you the chorus and then uh, sing the song and you can join in the chorus if you want to. Okay, so this is, the, this is the chorus here. So I'll teach you the chorus, and then it comes around in the song again and again, so um, you can join in every time. You might want to, oh, I don't know if you want to stand up or not. You can sit down, you can do whatever you like. Okay. So, <clears throat> take a load off Fanny. I want you to sing that back to me. Here we go. Take a load off Fanny. All right? Take a load for free. Take a load off Fanny Ann. Here we go. Take a load off Fanny Ann. You put the load back on me. I pulled into Nazareth. I was feeling better half past dead. I was just finding the place. Where I can lay my head Hey, mister, can you tell me Where a boy might find a bed He just shook his head No one's all he said Take a load off Fanny Take a load free Take a load off Fanny And you put the load back on Works a lot better with the kids at McKillop. I picked up my bag, went looking for a place to hide. I saw a common and the devil walking side by side. Said his name is Carmen, how about us go downtown? She said, well, I gotta go, but my friend is sick around. Take a load off Fanny, take a load free, take a load off Fanny, and you put the load back on me. Go down Miss Moses, there's nothing that you can say, just like good old Luke looks looking for the judgment. What about young Annalee? He said, do me a favor, boy, and keep Annalee company. Take a load off Fanny. Take a load free. Take a load off Fanny. And you put the load back on me. Take 
and then I'll hand over to Dorothy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we pray that we might be servants that serve you with a willing heart, ones that do our job, ones that support other people, ones that serve you and rejoice in you even when there are obstacles and hard times come. I pray this for this church and I pray this for our unity in spirit. Forgive me where I may have said things that offend people and I pray for each one of us that you'll teach us how to get on with each other and forgive one another. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>